Hi, I'm Ronald Saran Fountain, and you are watching Verse TV. Rate, comment, and subscribe. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and all the tea on Verse TV. It's your girl, Yuri G, and I'm here with Ronald the Saran Fountain. How are you doing? Hey, everyone. How y'all doing? And it's a pleasure to be here with y'all. All right, all right. So we're going to go ahead and kick things off with um, a little bit of tea about yourself. Um, so you are truly a local celebrity. Aramet remembers hanging out with you and how everyone would run up to um, get some FaceTime talking to the Saran Fountain. You have had quite the journey to get to this level of universal love. And today we would like to get all the tea on your journey and the mountains that you have successfully traversed. For our audience who may not know yet, um, know where you are from, what do you most like about your origin story? So where are you from and, you know, what about your origin story? Okay, so I'm gonna try and do this as quick as possible. Um, I now reside in the lovely state of Maryland in the wonderful city of Baltimore, regardless of what you may have heard. It is also, my place of birth. But in doing my inner work and looking and searching for my origins and where I come from, I believe that my people, as they were brought to this land, are from Jamaica, Montego Bay. And we, our origins is somewhere probably in Western Africa and the tribal countries. And what I've been able to search so far through my DNA and my origins is, I'm such a free spirit. So to really understand that was how I was able to understand how my people just couldn't sit still in Jamaica and wind up in America. Like this, this is probably as far as they got on their journey upward. And for those of us that know in America, Maryland was considered to be the free state. So if you could make it to Maryland, nine times out of 10, you could be registered to be free. So I believe my people were runners, were runners, and this was where they got to. And that's where I dropped off at. All right. So you are a same gender loving man and you are very comfortable in your own skin. How did you become so comfortable in your truth? So gotta be truthful. How do I live in my truth and how did I come to a place of acceptance of my truth? What I really wanna say to the people who are listening today, um, it's very important. One of the greatest works that you'll ever do in this time is the work that you do on yourself. And I challenge each and every person to really define themselves and know who they are. See, I'm a person that I don't mind labels and I really like labels. I just like the way the ones that I choose. And so that journey on self-discovery began for me as I had to uncover some things that had been taught that locked me into a box from childhood. And so even though I can be identified as same gender loving, I also identify as an alternative lifestyle living male or man, which I'm a love being. Um, I have been with females. I'm not opposed to my partner being a female. Uh, or a male. Uh, I, what I look for in partnership and that being to merge my life with 
I look for love. And when I'm able to find love in that individual, I'm able to connect to it and build from there. So it's one of the greatest attributes. For my preference, oh yes, it's same gender, or at least what my outer body look like. <laughs> okay, so what advice would you give to someone having trouble loving themselves? Hmm. I guess one of the first things that I would say to the audience, I am, I am an aspiring life coach. And so I meet a lot of individuals who deny their self that self-love. And I would say, look inwardly for the things that you feel is outwardly. But an assignment that I frequently give, and this, will work, this one will work, take the time to do it. Sit down and write down what love is to you. And then ask yourself the questions. Are you giving that to yourself before you're looking for it from somewhere else? If not, find somebody that you can truly confide in and share with and just begin to have those conversations to find out why it is that you deny yourself the things that you want the most or desire the most. And the journey will begin to unravel itself. This is one um, clause that I'll put in there for anyone. And that is this. The journey may not be all smooth without bumps, bruises. But the end, it is beautiful. It is wonderful. And you'll come to a place of strength that you never believed that you had. Okay, so in 2015, you were a contributing author in a published top-rated book, Writing Your Way Out, Memoirs from Jail. The road to publishing was lengthy. The writing started in 2006. Why did you agree to participate? And what was your most significant learning experience in jail? Oh, goodness. So let me start off first off and say, I don't know how many of y'all have been in jail before, but if you have never experienced it, you're usually in there with your kind. So <laughs> the first thing was, it was a chance to see some other men somewhere else in the jail <laughs> and get my flirt on. Because the professor, when he first sent the flyer to us, he sent it to us as a creative writing, creative writing class. So I'm, I've always been gifted to write. I became very curious. And outside of the other reason that I just gave, I went to see what was happening. It was a chance to get off my tier where I was. Um, and so I jumped feet first <laughs> into what turned out to be a beautiful work, but it had its challenges. But in the beginning, um, I joined and started participating kind of out of curiosity. All righty. So we're going to go get to a little bit deeper. Our second part is um, it's going to be reaching a little bit deeper, find out more about yourself. So <laughs> Yuri, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> I'm on my way to Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 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 so 
So Aaron Mack has a friend currently behind bars, and he has heard people explain the horrors of potential um, recidivism, a cycle in and out of jail, um, that it needs to be avoided. How did you ultimately avoid recidivism um, and what needs to be in place? <sighs> Forgive me, y'all. Um, sometimes when I have to speak about these experiences, it occurred me back to a place that I have to relive the experience. Um, I didn't get it right away. That when you become part of the system, the system works to get you back in the system over and over again. And there's some things set up in the system that automatically, automatically makes you retread. Within inside myself, the first time I ever got incarcerated was in 1994. If I combined all the time that I ever actually did inside the walls, it would be about eight years. But in 2006, two judges blessed me and they gave me 18 months. While I sat in there, we're now in 2006, and I'm telling you, I had to reflect from 1994. I sat in there and my, my spirit broke. Um, a fight broke out in the back of my dormitory where I was. And I looked back there and I was, I just broke down and started crying. I was like, how did I get here again, yet again? I know that there were some factors in my life, but I really wanted change and I didn't want to be on that side anymore. I don't know if anybody understands what it feels like to be told when you can eat, when you can sleep, when you can shower, when you can use the phone, you have to fight to try and watch TV. And then who can come see you and when they can come see you. I don't know if anybody know what that, that feeling is, but being the free spirit that I am, it just wasn't working anymore. Um, and so I launched a complaint, a, a campaign while I was in there. This is my last time, come hella high water. Um, I gotta change some things. I gotta do some things different. And I just begin to like see what the difference was. And I'll just share a quick experience with y'all. So in the drug game, people usually get arrested in their neighborhood. Um, and they were sitting in there and they were talking about, they was going just six blocks from where they had got arrested from. And it's like, but policemen keep their jobs for long, long times and have long beats. So that don't quite make sense to me that the same policeman that arrests you is just going to see you six blocks down the street. And so I started to see that their conversations wasn't making sense. And if I really wanted to stay free and I really wanted to stay out, I needed to really merge in myself that I wanted this. And so the journey began in 2000, 2006 in my last incarceration, but the real footwork really took off when I got out in 2007. Okay. You seem to have a very passionate spiritual system, but it's not quite typical. Can you share a quick overview of your spiritual understandings? Yes. Um, so that was a part of the journey and ending recidivism for me. So I have a strong belief in a creator. 
Today, I practice my belief mostly to the way of Christianity, that I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't null and void that I believe in one spiritual being um, overseeing it all. And so one of the things that I was able to do spiritually was I began to knock down or dispel beliefs that have been taught to me. Like, I can honestly say today, when I tell you that I believe in God, I don't believe that God is punishing. So I, I in getting with self and really gaining confidence, I no longer believe that God was punishing me because of the way that I live. But the way that I live did have something to do with the way my life was going. And so if I wanted to get on that side and be in agreement with the being that I believed in, I had to make some changes that I would say like this, I had heard all my life two wrongs don't make it right. So I still don't understand how the government can say that somebody took a life and then decide to kill that person. That's two wrongs and don't make it right. So it was like, for me, I had practiced wrong for so long, it felt right. That when I began to practice right, it felt wrong. And I had to make that commitment into myself. And the one thing that I can say, I tell people that I'm a spiritual being and I tell people that I'm a Christian. Um, but what I do tell them is, I don't believe that my belief is the only belief. So there's other beliefs that I believe that tie into it. And I'll gladly join in any conversation with anybody that have the openness to see both spectrums. So what is the, um, the hardest part about your daily routine and what's the most enjoyable part of it? The most hardest part about my daily routine mm -hmm. is I am clinically diagnosed, this is by diagnosis, to be a person with PTSD as well as bipolar. And, and being aware of it, it gives me a certain level of awareness and control into who I am, but I have my difficult days where I know mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, I am not where I wanna be. I'm not riding on 100%. On most days when people ask me how I'm doing, I'll quickly say, I'm doing dynamically awesome. But if I say anything out of that, people who know me generally say, what's going on? And so learning how to navigate that and because my spirit still wakes up, I get up and I move. I would say those are my most difficult times or those are my hardest times. Now, my best times, girl, woo! <laughs> my best time is just knowing that I'm alive and for the first time in my life, I'm putting something into this world that the world can't take it back. And simply what I mean by that is um, Ern, Ern Mac like, made a statement. I don't see myself in the way that he's seen it. I just see myself as a positive light 
that people draw to and they enjoy talking to me because for most times I listen non-judgmentally. Now, mentally, I may be judging like crazy in my mind, but when you talk to me, you probably wouldn't even know um, what's going on. So that's the most funnest part of the day, to know that I'm alive and that I'm putting something that the world can't take away. So what is the best advice you've ever received? And this is going to seem a bit derogatory to some people, but I'm just going to give it to them just the way it was given to me. I found, I found myself in a place where people couldn't say that I had done anything that counted for something. So they considered me to be a nothing. They considered me to be nobody. And they considered me to have no aim to go anywhere. I want to say the best advice that I could ever got is control your narrative. No one can tell your story better than you can. So if you find yourself in a place that I did, that nothing, nobody, and nowhere were in conclusions, make a decision that you want to be somebody, that you want to go somewhere, and that you want to do something that counts for the betterment of the people. Okay. What is the main thing that you want our first TV audience to learn about Ronald today? I'm a misread book. Let me say that again. I'm a misread book. When you meet me, when you see me, whatever your first thoughts of me are, they're probably wrong. Take a moment and have a conversation with me. Get to know me. Otherwise than that, you'll miss the beauty of me. And today I'm happy to say I've done enough work on myself that I love me. I love me to, in totality. And so today I value people and who they are. So when I meet you, I value as, as that, but I don't always get that back. And so a lot of people miss the beauty of having me in their life and what it could mean as well as whatever you could bring to my life, I miss it because for whatever reason, you didn't give me a fair chance. So what's next for Ronald Sir Ron Mountain? So even though it's not there physically right now, I am a millionaire working on billionaire status. Uh, the closest resemblance to, I can give you to a vision of where I'm headed. Um, I'm relative to Ayana Ayala, Fix My Life. I am headed to major platforms to help people do their work. I am a life coach. Um, in many ways, my mentor tells me today, I am also a wounded healer. So on the spiritual realm, I'm a wounded healer. Um, where people who have been wounded or who are hurting badly and tragic, they just come to me. 
and for some reason they find solitude in me. But I'm also a motivational speaker, so look for me to come to a city close to you sometime soon and speak to you about the issues that mean the most and what we can do to be proactive in it. I'm also an advocate and an activist. Um, it all depends on what level and what it is. A lot of communities play a part in my life, especially the G, the GLBTQ plus community, as well as persons of long-term recovery from substance use and mental health disorders, or today we can say behavioral health disorders. Uh, I'm adopted, so I speak to that genre as well. But I am also a father, I am a brother, I am a son, I am a grandfather. So there's many things behind this face that you can't see that I give an open invitation that I'll be sharing with the world as I continue forward. Um, I'm working on uh, some new book projects as well. And somewhere along the line, I'll be inviting y'all to my, um, I would say podcast, but I don't think it's gonna be a podcast, but it's gonna be like a video cast. So uh, I'll be inviting y'all to that platform as I talk about the, the things that mean most. Last but not least, my organization um, that was breathed to me from my creator is called LIVE. LIVE stands for Lifting Individual Voices for empowerment. We stand for individuals, families, and communities. The lifted individuals, you can just think about the hand helping someone up to a new place. The voices is about showing people how to live in your authentic and genuine self. And then how do you display that to the world? Or how do you display it to others so that people can more, more blatantly live in their truth? And then the empowerment is this. Yuri, I don't believe that there's any power that I could ever give you that wasn't already inside you. So what I actually do, I help navigate, guide you to the power within you so that you can stand tall and help someone else. So those are some of the ventures that you'll see coming in the future. And I still do book reviews or book platforms for right now, way out memoirs from jail. Um, with that, you can reach out to me or any of the other co-authors and gladly um, we'll reach back to you. But we're still doing things with that as we grow to put recidivism and mass incarceration to rest. Oh, did I forget the prison population? Oh, I'm also a part of that community too. I'm not a criminal, but I am an ex-offender and I stand for redemption, the opportunity to make a wrong right. Thanks. All right, so if you had all the money and power necessary, what would you do to change what you feel um, most benefit the LGBT plus community? Um, with this one, making sure that we have the equity necessary to build and establish our own. Um, we've done many strides, but now I have to bring it to a personal level because I 
ascribed to African American. And so in the black community, using using that money and that power to show others how to live wholesome and free, but also that they have everything they need within them. That the only thing you need the other portions for is sustaining what you have. But helping them to see that it's better to be a business than a consumer. That like proportionally throughout the world, I believe the LGBT community probably outspends everybody <laughs> uh, that you could put in a category. And that's just because we come from fashion, we come from glamour, we come from the sparkle, but I would like to see us use that equity to build ourselves and put that stock. So I would use that. Anything specific that you would have, Yuri? <laughs> um, for me, I feel like um, it's so many of us that are talented in our communities that are not highlighted and not utilized, especially in our counterparts' businesses. And so I think um, what we should do is reach within our own community. Um, like there's something um, for all of us within our own community. There's enough people here with drug habits that, you know, if you want to be a counselor to um, addicts, that you could do that. There's enough of it in our community. Um, and that's the way to give back to our community and, you know, for us to help build each other up. Um, and I think that's why... Um, you know, no, no shade, like the white community um, at one point when they had everything divided where whites over here, blacks over here, when they saw our community thrive is when they wanted to go ahead and start institutionalizing um, things and then marketing things so that we start buying into them because we were a thriving community when blacks served blacks. And so we were looking out for each other. We were helping each other and we had economic strength. Um, but you know, if we stuck together, even just as an LGBT community, like we would be a lot more stronger and our community would thrive and we would have a lot more say so, you know, because we're not a community seeking out help. We're the ones who, you know, can hold our own. Um, but um, ask not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me, what am I living for? In detail, ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. Quote Thomas Martin. The actual question is, what is your goal in life and what is slowing you from achieving that goal? My goal in life is to just leave my mark here, to leave a legacy behind. Um, like I said, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, and right now my guardian is still living. And so what I try and do first and foremost is try to make sure that I'm doing well so that my family does well, and then spread that on to the communities and and those around. So I want my life to have that purpose that sustains me that I didn't just take from this world, but I also gave it something 
that when I leave it behind, my son, my, my grandson and my granddaughter, as well as my other kids, they have something to say, oh, dad or yeah, dad left something that I can sustain and that I can stand on. Um, what slows me from that is for me, I feel like it's the changing of a culture that the culture has to wholeheartedly change into something much different than what it is now, where we need to see people as human first. And we need to respect who that human is, who that being is. Um, and I'm one of those people that I don't believe that I'm meant to go everywhere. So sometimes and me not going somewhere or challenging myself to step through a gate that right now is part of my slowing or why I haven't achieved it. But I do believe that I'm well on the path and that I'm living in it. So um, something that you haven't shared with people um, on social media, um, something that you're comfortable with, of course, like what is your deepest tea? <laughs> then I'm really uh, fun-loving, very outgoing, sometimes outspoken, overbearing um, individual who has a lot of love um, to give. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of an open book sometimes. So it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, something that people don't know. Um, my two-spiritedness that I'm non-gender conforming, that I don't subscribe to pronouns, um, even though if someone uses them, I'll answer. But my the one thing that I like to be called the most is Sir Ron, um, or Ron. And in my two-spiritedness, if you put me in an environment where it's all males, or most people subscribe to male, then you'll see me as feminine. And if you put me in an environment where it's all females, you'll see the dominance of me come out. And you'll say he's masculine. You put me in a neutral setting and I'm gonna be androgynous. So it all depends on who I'm vibing with and who I'm feeling at the moment. But I am very flighty and lighty that I love to dance. So in that um, <clears throat> I can vogue, <laughs> I can modern dance. I have styles of African dance, and I can also do, do some forms of ballerina and um, jazz. So I, I guess that would be an introduction to something that most people don't know, my two-spiritedness. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll work this one in together. And um, what stumbling blocks have you encountered on your journey with your work and how did you overcome? So stumbling blocks. Well, first of all, being an ex-offender is not easy work 
because they're still judging you on something you did 10 years ago, and that's history. So you have to fight that that battle. Um, then being a person of substance use disorder, um, when I was when I was running rampant with drugs, uh, to hire me was to know that I was going to I was going to try and take your company off, or I was going to stay long enough to get some money out the company, get my paycheck, and I was going to be good. So the one of the first things I had to get over with that was the ability of substance use. Then I told you I'm clinically diagnosed with mental health disorders. So what I've come to understand, this question is asked a lot, and I don't know if it makes sense to people, but what came first, the chicken or the egg? It don't really motherfucking make a difference. Excuse my language, bleep that out. <laughs> it really don't make a difference, but to the individual, it does. And so what I know is my diagnosis of mental health disorder was there long before I picked up the drug. But once I picked up the drug, I began to spiral because there was no balance to my mental health. And so <clears throat> learning how to deal with those um, on a daily basis and how to overcome them, overcome them was a whole lot. Um, I wrap this question up with, I have a mentor who is a spiritual, spiritual guidance to me, and he always deems me with three things. He say, you are a bridge builder. You are a hyper Nike. And basically in the hyper Nike, what he's telling me in that is I'm a super overcomer. I'm somebody who, if you tell me I can't get out that way, I'm going to say, well, there is a way to get out of here, and I'm going to find it so that other people can live by it. So I forgot the third thing right now, so I'm going to stop right there. And we got one more question, Yuri. And <sighs> Did you want to say anything to that, though? No, not really. I mean, it's kind of about you. I guess there'll be a day when I'll get interviewed and I can answer them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the ideally, what do you want to be the legacy for your work? I guess I would say I want the brand of live to be a household commodity that people feel like they can't live without. I want my family to be well enough that yes, they're going to go through struggles and hard times, but because of the path that I laid out, they'll have all the tools and skills to know that they can get through it. And last but not least, in my legacy, one of the things that I would want to happen so if I'm not here come February 2nd, 2021, and y'all have to come to my home going, I want y'all to come and I want y'all to dance and celebrate that I lived this life here. And I did my best to enjoy every moment that I had. And if I can leave that behind and people see that it's more of a celebration, then a, a sorrow, I'm going to be completely, completely, completely happy.
That was all the tea on Verse TV. Um, and um, it's your girl, Yuri G and um, Ron. Tell everybody where they can find you. Hey, everybody. So here, Ron Saran Fountain. You can look me up. You can find me on Facebook under Ronald Fountain at Ronald Fountain. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, of course, hit that at and it's Sir Ron Fountain. One word, bring it through. And then if you want to find me on Twitter, it's King Diesel. Make sure you look for the Baltimore because there's a lot of diesels on there. But I look forward to hearing y'all. And it's been my pleasure to share with First TV. All right. All right. <laughs> Ooh, love you, Yuri. <laughs>